I think the culture is evolving. I think it's kind of forced change because none of us like to change, even though you may make it a core value or you may make it an initiative for the year. It's really hard. Uh, but sometimes what's what's nice is maybe a good kick in the pants. And I, I think spend culture is changing. I don't know how many would use that language. So I love that you guys are using it and getting the word out. I think there's an enormous opportunity just on education of what a true spend culture would look like and, and what it means, which I dare say again, I think starts at the C-suite. Hi, I'm Danny. And I'm Nicole. Welcome to the Spend Culture Stories podcast, where we explore the connection between company spending and culture. Join us as we dive deep into understanding the people, processes, and tools that make up spend as a whole for what we call spend culture. Welcome to another episode of Spend Culture Stories podcast. I'm Tori Clark, and today I'm excited to welcome Anthony Clarvey to the podcast. Anthony is the CEO and co-founder of Una a no-cost group purchasing organization that helps companies increase their bottom line. Welcome, Anthony. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks, Tori. Glad to be here. Awesome. So to start us off, I'd love to just hear a little bit about you. And maybe if you could start with, how did you start your career? A little bit about me. So let's see. So 34, which is weird to think I'll be 35 here in July of this year. So I feel like I'm closer to 40. I'll confess that. Married, have two kids, and trying to run a business with great people around me. Una, you know, the how we kind of got going, we've been in business now almost seven years, I think it states, 2012. And I was kind of tapped to come in as a co-founder. You know, there's a, a couple other spin-off businesses in our ecosystem to help kind of turn things around and establish Una. And prior to this, we kind of had some different names, but we've um, really established and even cleaned it up and Una, actually, is kind of fun. It's Latin for together. So obviously, in this spend culture, as you guys say, or procurement and purchasing sourcing environment, there's multiple parties. And so we like to and kind of just hammered out like, hey, this idea of together, you know, just really made sense. And so I can get into more of that. But my career has gone many different ways. I'll say this in short, and we can kind of keep going back and forth. I'm a sales guy through and through. You know, everything from slinging lemonade as a kid or cutting grass and then being on the phone or being out in the field, like it's always made sense to me. So this environment of having fun, recognizing what, what a true spend culture or recognizing our suppliers, our customers and our and what we're trying to do is it just really makes sense to me. From starting off, I love that you said lemonade and cutting grass because all true salespeople something, right? absolutely started with something like that. A little bit relatable. Yes. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So once you first got into your career and after schooling and all that stuff, where did you start? What organization? Did you, you know, that's a good point. So I did the traditional route. I did go to a four-year school. I'll give mm -hmm. them a shout out. McKendra University played baseball there. Nice. Both my parents were teachers at the secondary level. My dad taught art and my mom has uh, taught uh, horseback riding or equestrian is the fancy way to say it. And from there, you know, I kind of bumped around. I knew that working for somebody else would make me want to puke, <laughs> you know, just even in college. Uh, so this idea, I, I looked at insurance, you know, where you're kind of an independent advisor, or you're, you know, building your own book of business and popped around, really just failed a lot. I never want to forget that I'm, I'm continuing to fail and encourage our teams to fail. How I got to Kansas City, where Una is based, it was actually working for a company called Service Magic, now called Home Advisor. 
and helping them build their contractor network. They've gone through plenty of acquisitions. They're owned by IEC, which I think is out of New York. Um, they just bought Angie's List. So in the home services space, they're the top. And then from there, I was plucked to go do uh, work for Sears at a company called, which is funny to say, you know, Sears 50 years ago was an awesome name. Mm-hmm. And they have a company within Sears called Service Live. It's a great company. And I was going to help them do a leads business, maybe similar to what Home Advisor was doing. And then, and then that was kind of at that same time I was doing that is when I was tapped. Um, my brother is a co-founder. We've got a few other investors to kind of come over here and say, hey, let's, let's really launch. There'd been some, uh, we'll say, challenges and opportunities. And it was a great opportunity to t- get tapped and turn this thing around. And short story, here we are today. Fast forward, I should say. Awesome. So it's a family affair. You know, the family affair. Yeah. That has its pros and cons too, which I'm sure will be very relatable to your audience. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm sure there's some stories there. And always good to have the family affair ones because they always bring a bit of color, I think. <laughs> That's right. Um, can you tell us a little bit too about Una Cares? Because when I was first getting to know Una, the organization, that was something that really stood out to me. So maybe the, just the story behind how that started and what Una Cares is. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I have to give credit to some past team members that were with us and they have found their you know magic elsewhere, as Disney says, but they you know helped us kind of set up this concept where, hey, I just mentioned it, I'll kind of plug it. So Una just went through a rebrand and our whole intention behind it, uh, of course, of trying to speak to our audience is how can we empower sourcing or procurement professionals, or as we like to say at Una, sourcing heroes. And we thought, well, hey, regarding Una Cares, we need to think local and think about Kansas City, which is home base and say, well, what about our youth? And so we wanted to do something that we could quantify. So while we're empowering our sourcing heroes day-to-day nationally, we want to empower locally our youth. And we're doing that through a you know, handful of organizations here in Kansas City, Lead to Read, and some others. And it may be as simple as making some lunches, going to read with kids, raking yards, cleanups, so giving our time. And then, of course, there's a financial component as well. And we just thought it made sense. You know, we're like I mentioned, and we want to continue to do that. And I think with where business is going, it's it used to be kind of corporate responsibility is the fancy term. And I think it's more expected and businesses that can lead and by example, and I would say impact and influence in the community that you're in. It's just a really healthy way to create a culture. You know, we talked about culture and spend culture. And frankly, it can't all be about the buck. I like to make a buck like the next guy, and we want to empower sourcing heroes, but that's really the purpose behind Una Cares. And honestly, I could go on and on. I think our organizations, I wish we could do more. So that's, you know, that's what I'll say for that. I love that you guys do that. I love that it's local. And I know corporate responsibility, definitely the buzz term, but from Una Cares, it's just, you can tell it is so genuine and it's based on what your guys's values are so that's probably the biggest thing i think you you nailed it like hey if we're going to be a company that says we want to work with customers or members that that support our our core values well how can we not have some kind of message locally and it's an example of how we want to represent our core values you nailed it yeah that's awesome i also love that you mentioned culture because ben culture as our podcast title which I love, by the way. <laughs> I think it's a badass title. Keep running with it. 
Well, yeah, the spend culture, it's a key pillar in an organization's culture and people tend to not think about it enough, uh, in my opinion. So it's how people make spend decisions and execute on them. And I'd love to hear more about the culture at UNA, just in general, and then also how you think that relates to the spend culture at UNA. Would you relate them or how would you describe them? Sure, I think you can relate them. I'll say it is an on, it is a daily task. So I, I mentioned I'm married. Mm -hmm. I can't just say I'm married once and then, you know, take time off for 90 days. The reason I say that is it's just like culture. Like I don't necessarily tell our team members that I love them, but I, I do. It's just, it's a daily <laughs> intentional deliverable is my point. I can't just do one event or great. We have a ping pong table in our office and that's great. And we try to do drinks and all the fun stuff and you know, I wish we had more windows and, you know, all these other things that I think that could make, create a better environment. We've got a, you know, I don't know if you've seen our tagline or our video. That's a fun little, I'll give a teaser. We have this Mayo joke, which if you watch the video of explaining GPOs and what we do, that'll make more sense. Yes, I actually, I'll, I'll say that I'll link that for sure, because that video is amazing. <laughs> totally. Okay. Well, it's fun and it's only fun if you've seen it, but so we've had jokes like, can we bring dogs in the office? And you know, stuff like that. And at the end of the day, it's like Harry Truman, like the buck stops with me. And so it is a daily deal of how we're treating our people and how we're setting expectations and how we're communicating and what's important and what's not. And to say that I've been perfect in this would be false. But if you at least if it's top of mind and you guys are having conversations. So one of our core values is candor and we continue yeah. to push it, push it and push it hard. And, you know, as a leader, one of the things that concerns me the most is not so much what our people say, it's what they're not saying. And so I think any leader that really gets that, and we hope that we're, we're actually fostering more leaders. It's not just the Anthony show here for sure. But I think so C-suite, right? Or, you know, we're a small company, but you mentioned spend culture. It starts from the top, which we actually just pushed out a, a really cool blog. You know, our marketing is kick butt. And it talks about getting C-suite buy-in. So as well as if what you say is great, but what you do, as long as it matches, and that's what really matters. And so we believe that from a spend standpoint, whether it be just how we're talking to our customers or ideally how these organizations, big or small, if you're managing you know, a couple million to 50 million to billions of dollars in spend, we believe that there needs to be C-suite buy-in. Otherwise, it's really tricky for a myriad of reasons. I mean, we could talk about dark purchasing or fanciful ways of saying uncompliance purchasing to data management to there's no collaboration or change within the system. Hey, this is how I've always done it. I don't want to make those changes. So and those are really tough conversations. And if you don't have C-suite buy-in, it's very rare that any change would happen. And so then if there's no change there, then do you really have a procurement strategy? And I would say your spend culture lacks just like, hey, is if the top is I mean, let's just say it. Like if you're a jerk and you want other people to be nice, I mean, come on. It's like our moms used to say, treat people how you would want to be treated. And I have to remind myself daily and make sure that I am leading by example. I think you've nailed it so well. And talking about how your culture is about communication, candor, and then, you know, making mistakes and building on those. Absolutely. What are people not saying? That's awesome because that's definitely related to everything when it comes to how people make spend decisions and execute on them. So that's really good to hear. How do you think that spend culture in general is going to evolve over the next, say, few years or just in the, in the future here too? Because I know culture 
has been something that's evolved and organizational culture over the last while. I mean, it's always existed, but it, it has become more of a topic of conversation. Do you think spend culture will evolve in the same kind of way? I think the market will demand it, just like the market has demanded businesses to change how they do culture for their team members and employees. You know, people want more freedom. They want more autonomy. And spend culture right now is interesting. I was doing a recording earlier this week. And, you know, this idea of collaboration, C-suite buy-in, but then the kind of the traditional routes with suppliers, I think it's all, it's really all evolving. Actually, I know that it is. I think this year alone, we'll probably have the most investment in whether it be spend analytics tools or technology tied to procurement. So I think it's going to hopefully force some healthy capitalism and change of how suppliers are going to market, how they're working with their customers. And then the flip side, right? So the Latin word for una, excuse me, is actually together. So we believe that actually the end user that's actually buying the products and services or participating in that in that format is just as important as our supplier partner. And so although we may be agnostic in a lot of different categories and the way we go to market and have conversations, it's natural. We have better relationships with certain suppliers for many different reasons. And so I think there's going to be a demand. Uh, you know, people want to do business with people that they like, which eh, it's been around for for centuries, but there's still this application where you, this sitting across the table from somebody or a supplier, and if there's real relationship and real understanding, I think it is going to evolve. I think it's going to be more relational based and the technology component is great, but not just technology for technology. And, you know, I kind of lean towards good communicators take complicated information and make it simple. So this idea of procurement and purchasing and sourcing can be, there's a sense of like elitism, in my opinion, that I've seen in the market. You don't know what I know, or let's be overly sophisticated. And sometimes depending on the, the market, the commodity, the category, the business, it doesn't need to be that complicated. That's a little bit of what Una tries to do is simplify that process and delineate from what, what's important and what's not. But again, I, th I think the culture is evolving. I think it's kind of forced change because none of us like to change even though you may make it a core value or you may make it an initiative for the year, it's really hard. Uh, but sometimes what's, what's nice is maybe a good kick in the pants. And I, I think spend culture is changing. I don't know how many would use that language. So I love that you guys are using it and getting the word out. I think there's an enormous opportunity just on education of what a true spend culture would look like and, and what it means, which I dare say again, I think starts at the C-suite. Like we don't want it to be a reactionary mechanism. We want it to be a proactive, forward thinking, like this matters to our business and our ecosystem. And I just, you know, baby steps, right? Absolutely. When you're talking about seeing in the future year or just right now in this year alone, more about spend analytics tech, but then really it's more relationship based. That's actually probably a really good spot to ask for you to explain to our listeners a little bit more about group purchasing. Could you tell us exactly what a GPO is and explain what some of the benefits of group purchasing are? Sure. Love to. So again, you know, you obviously little plug, you can check us out at una.com. I will say this too. Group purchasing has been around for about a hundred years. The concept started really in healthcare and now has extended into other verticals and we still service some healthcare customers, but majority of our business is in the business community uh, in North America, typically uh, the United States. We do service some customers in Hawaii 
in Alaska. But the short of it is we can help companies buy like the big guys and buy products and services, commodities that are used to everything from smaller parcel shipping to hotels, to rideshare, to furniture, to, you know, we say anything that's on a carpet. And I mean, the list goes on and there's many different types of GPOs, which we could get into that if you want to. But in the long and short of it is we should help you buy smarter. You know, our goal is to help you buy smarter, understand really what it is that you need. And typically we'll have two different conversations, whether it's, hey, let's look at a few categories and do some education, you know, because most of our customers, they don't even know that a GPO is available to them. And to your point, they don't even know what a GPO is. So the con- I have to say, well, actually, we, you know, our teams will say, well, it's, it's a group purchasing organization, which is, okay, great. You've explained the, the acronym. Well, what do you do and, and how do you do it? And that's the beauty of a lot of what we're doing with our content and a lot of our conversations that we're having with, with prospects and customers every day. Yeah, I would say too, I'll plug your blog because your blog has some amazing stuff, especially since you mentioned the brand revamp there, content there is Well, I'll plug our marketing team while you plug the blog. (laughs) Absolutely. And instead of getting into the weeds on too many, because I know there's so many different topics that we could get into, but for just the listeners right now on... Absolutely. So great question. Fairly typical question. So a vertical GPO is a GPO focused on a specific vertical. How about that? So everything from like dental to pharmacy to hospitality. So there's literally focused GPOs that just service that market and products and services that are that are primary for that market. And then a horizontal GPO is going to be really the opposite. They'll serve any vertical and have a myriad of options that will service those markets or verticals. Una is actually what's considered a horizontal GPO. Although we do service the business and healthcare space, we have categories of spend and negotiated contracts that will extend really to any uh, business and vertical. What you tend to find on the horizontal focused GPOs is that uh, they focus on indirect spend, which is really everything that I kind of rattled off as far as like small parcel, the, the everyday items that are going to affect most organizations or businesses. Where on the vertical side, you're going to see some opportunities on direct spend that are very specific to that market. You know, in regards to the second part of your question, when you're looking at a GPO relationship, I mean, the things that I would think about is, again, I get back to relationship that you're thinking that way. Hopefully, you're coming to the table with an idea of what success would look like uh, in a partnership. Understand the fees and if there are any. And I'm really hoping that there's an ideal dialogue, you know, hope that there's good dialogue back and forth on, again, that there's an understanding of what success would look like. But then ideally, the right GPO, in my opinion, understands that they are a supplement and that they want to come alongside of ideally, again, as we said, your the C-suite strategy that you've, that you've got in place for your spend and that there's an opportunity for some outsourced procurement assistance. And that's how we try to position ourselves. Again, we don't want to be just selling, throwing things off the shelf. We want to really consider ourselves as this advisor And ideally, that's the type of GPO relationship or procurement advisory relationship I would advise or encourage so that there's real understanding. And and frankly, sometimes we may just help with a couple of categories. And you can do that again, whether it's vertically specific or horizontally specific uh, GPO. I will say this, a good plug. If you go to whatisagpo.com, this is articulated even better than I just shared. And it's a really good resource page that we we tend to share with a lot of our current customers and even other prospects are in, in our ecosystem. 
that makes complete sense. Also, your guys' explainer video about with the superheroes, I think is a very good way to learn a little bit more about this. So it's empowering yeah. sourcing heroes, right? Yes, which is great because that's exactly what we uh, say too. I have on my business card, it's you could be the next purchasing hero. So I love it. We're very I aligned. <laughs> I recently changed my LinkedIn of like advocate for sourcing heroes. Like I'm just trying to like just, we're going to take this sourcing hero for procurement folks theme like to the nth degree. We're going to wear it out. I love that. So. And having that whole empowerment aspect of it is huge. Honestly, with content, I think it's what I know our listeners want to uh, hear about. So, I mean, I read an you know blog post too about how to supercharge procurement influence. I think that's really similar to what you were also saying about influencing the C-suite. It was a recent one. Yeah. yeah. That's critical in organizations today. So in your opinion, how do you think that leaders can empower procurement professionals? Simple. Let them do their freaking job. You hire them to do a job, make it clear. Hey, these are the expectations. If you run into problems, let me know. But typically, depending on the size of the organization, there could be a three folk, you know, a couple, two or three folks in a, you know, on or a procurement team or and or sourcing team, if you will. And depending on how big you are, you're going to handle multiple categories or one category and make sure that it's understood that, you know, we take it seriously here. And I think, again, it really, I don't think, I know, it starts from the top, just like culture and, you know, what you say is what you do. And, you know, people don't watch what you say, they watch your feet. And so if there's pushback on compliance and on change, there needs to be some reinforcement, not only from the leader that's been empowered and is maybe not doing the execution, but again, I really think it starts at the top C-suite or however the structure of the organization and so there could be some communication that could go out as far as practically, hey, this is what's coming. This is what we're doing. We're on board with this. You may not see it right now, but this will make sense. There could be face-to-face -face meetings, intranet. I'm just thinking how big an organization is. Email communication. There's lots of different ways. It could be a video. I mean, there's not a shortage of technology on mediums of how to communicate this message. But I think, too, you know, making sure it's clear for, you know, again, there's CPOs of the C-suite level and who's ever doing the execution. Do they know what they're trying to accomplish? Do they know where their boundaries are? And are they going to get backed up, you know, if they run into a jam? And that's the key. And we see it a lot where a procurement professional or, excuse me, sourcing hero thinks <laughs> they have the authority to do X. Then we have a conversation. We share some strategy, ideas, whatever, right? We're just having a conversation. They go back to C-suite or whoever that leader. Maybe it's the top. Maybe it's the CEO or president. Well, you know, we don't want to do that. We don't want to piss Bob off or X, Y, Z. And in my opinion, that's the worst. And the ripple effect of that is where else is that happening in culture, not just spend culture? So you're just, you're handcuffing the people that you've hired to go do a job. And then they feel stuck in the middle. And then we're there trying to facilitate that conversation uh, so, yeah, that's absolutely what not to do, uh, I think, as I was trying to share some ideas on what you could do. What I'm hearing, too, is that it really does come down to leadership style and making empowering those sourcing heroes a priority, too. I like it. Yeah. I like, <laughs> I like it. it, too. So I guess to reel it back a bit, way at the beginning, you mentioned, I know you briefly mentioned it, but you said that you have some baseball experience in your past. And now that we're talking about leadership styles here, do you think that having that competitive sports in your history relates to how you lead Una today? Oh, absolutely. Sometimes for better or for worse. 
I will say, you know, baseball, it's interesting that you bring that up. I mean, I, I've been retired for some time and honestly, I didn't go to a really big school. I went to a liberal arts school in the middle of actually Southern Illinois. And then actually they've just switched to D2, NCAA D2 used to be NAI, but ultimately, you know, some of your audience may know that or not, but what's interesting about bringing up baseball is if you've watched the headlines at all, obviously with what the Astros are going through and the Red Sox, I think it relates and why it relates. Well, one, you shouldn't cheat. I mean, that's kind of you know step number one, but there's obviously an erosion of trust that is in baseball. It's permeating. It's, it's disgusting. And as a baseball fan, and even as a, you know, as a competition guy, like, look, you're always looking for an edge. But the reason how I relate it to whether it be empowering sourcing heroes or organizations or how they relate to their customers is, and then even employees and culture, and we got to be really careful about this. And I'm on the chopping block too, is trust, is creating trust with our employees, creating trust with our suppliers. I could not bring it up because you're going to say baseball. And I think any of your audience is going to be thinking about, so what is the deal? Like the Astros stole signs, which yeah, they did. And they used technology to do it. Unfortunately, hey, look, I used to be at second all the time. I always trying to pick up signs, but I wasn't using technology. Right. But back to your original question, I'm a competitor. We want to hire competitors and we have a pretty aggressive, outspoken team. And it's fun. It makes for a fun environment. But there's a real, you say baseball, and all I think about is the lack of trust that's going on right now. And I think I haven't mentioned it, but I should. But hey, look, and you're building any new relationship or educating people internally, externally, whatever product or service you're trying to sell, we're all selling something. So you said, you know, hey, how do these sourcing heroes get top of mind? Well, they're going to have to sell to their Mm C-suite and there's going to have to be some trust there that goes both ways. I just think it matters. It's really, really key. And I never want to forget about it. Absolutely. You know, you're thinking about that with baseball right now, but in general too, sports and having that competitive aspect, but then uh, bringing your team together. And as you said, like, if it's your customers or if it's your fan base or it's watching the game, it's about the experience of the game and the integrity of it and having trust there and the relationships is key. Right. And look, hey, we're in Kansas City, so I got to do another plug. I mean, yeah, I don't know if your audience knows this, but uh, the Kansas City Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl. You know, <laughs> it hasn't happened for 50 years. I know this has nothing to do with procurement, but you brought up like competitive sports. And I just think, you know, hey, a little plug there for the Kansas City Chiefs. That's awesome. Yeah. You know what? Plug away. I think that's important. Our audience, there's sports fans in there. There's sports fans everywhere. So so then to bring it back to another question I have for you, though, about your leadership style uh, is, do you have a procurement horror story that can, you can share from your years as a leader? So we've had some people on the podcast before give some crazy ones, and I'd love to hear if you have any. So I'll just tell it from, I won't, you know, of course, use names, but what we tend to find, and that's, I think, where I talked about the C-suite, is that procurement or spend management or out of compliance, purchasing, whatever fanciful words you want to use, it's just very reactive. We'll typically get a phone call and say, hey, I just got hired and I found you guys online and I need help. And here's my big freaking problem. And sometimes it is a horror story. It's just, it'll blow you away. Like, okay. And I'll be a little bit specific, but of course, not using names. Better customers, probably like a year ago. And they had 750 locations all across the United States. They had no data 
a no spend insight into what those locations were doing. There was no centralized purchasing. There was no plan. And then actually what created the horror story is that we actually uh, said that we would go to every site because the volume was like high enough. And could we do like regional webinars? Is there a way that we can kind of like pull this in and go step by step to do the data? And the guy was, honestly, it wasn't a fit, I would say, from a core value perspective. Well, no, I just want to see pricing or I just want to see X, Y, Z. And so we weren't even able to look at things from a holistic. So I would say the, the interaction was a little bit horrifying, not aligning with core values. But in a, a lot of other ways, I just felt bad for the organization. I mean, he was set up to fail and he didn't have any other resources behind him. We're talking millions in spend, tens of millions in spend. And I think there's folks in your audience that can relate to that, resonate. I mean, I talked to a guy recently, actually a friend of mine I went to school with, and you know, he's managing just under a billion dollars in spend. And it's just him and a couple analysts, which is fairly reasonable, I guess, depending on the categories, as long as there's been some consistency in processes. But his number one issue was not having accurate data. I'm like, well, we got to talk. So at least have a conversation and see if we can help. But I think that horror story of seeing the reactive and then not an openness to even go with some of our suggestions and then how he was set up to fail, it was, I would say it would be classified as a, as a horror story. 750 locations. And then you saying you'd go to every site. Wow. We would go every site or do a webinar or can we pull the site together regionally? Like, you know, it would have been a mess. But the messes are where the opportunities are. Yeah, absolutely. And saying that there's a couple analysts and the problem for them too is like the data. It's so reassuring sometimes to think if you are in a situation that looks so dire, but there is tech out there. There are companies out there like Una who's going to come and help and align core values so that you guys are all on the same page to get out of that, which sure that's important. It's not just the Una show. Like we believe, you know, again, that GPOs can play play a really great role within the overall procurement structure that, mm-hmm. that exists in the marketplace. But yeah, I mean, there's so many options. You know, I like the phrase, like the mind's like a parachute. It doesn't work unless it's open. And so unless we're talking to somebody open-minded. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> it's not mine, right? So you feel free to use it, steal it. That's just the way we think. And let's just not already complicate an already, you know, complicated situation. And so if we can find people like that, that we can meet face-to-face, shake a hand and and start a journey together, you know, that's what we're looking for. And we hope that, I think that's evolving. You know, you asked about spend culture and I used to kind of, you know, procurement and sourcing folks, it kind of was like a place where people would go to die. I don't know if that makes sense. That sounds a little cruel or just maybe your audience disagrees, <laughs> which is great because I think it's changing. I think there's plenty of organizations on LinkedIn and different yeah. groups that are evolving. There's a new evolution, which I think is freaking awesome, which is women in procurement. The demand and the change, it's also data shows that women-run organizations do much better. So kudos to the badass women out there. Nice. I like that shout out too. <laughs> we agree with that. I figured you would, Tori. <laughs> in the same direction then, because you are giving some great quotes and... I love that you draw on other people's advice as well. Do you have a piece of business advice uh, that's resonated with you throughout your career? And we do have quite a few young professionals in our audience. So if you had a piece of advice to some up and coming leaders, potentially in procurement, but just in general, what would that be? Yeah, I mean, usually it's, you know, do something you love, which I think is fine. And I I don't think it's bad advice. Uh, You know, the things I would think about 
find somebody that's doing something similar that you'd like to do, or there's already quote unquote in your mind successful, or that you think if they're doing it really well and that would make you happy and go work for them for free. Because the best thing you have, or or try to volunteer, or get some kind of. Sh- if you can't make it work, I mean, you and eight buddies can live together. Like, I'm not the only leader saying this or thinking this way. Like, the best thing about being young is you've got time, and I'm the most probably impatient person on the planet. But that was probably the one of the biggest piece of advice I had is just be patient, and things will kind of come to you if you're working your ass off. You know, success. What's the line? Like hard work. Where hard work is, you know, it's like where success is where hard work and opportunity meet. And typically, like if you're working really hard and then hopefully working smart, more and more opportunities will come up. And so some people will say that, you know, you just get luckier and luckier. But at the end of the day, what I always try to remember, I, I mentioned my age, which I'm happy to share. You know, I'll be 35 here in July. So in 20 years, okay, just some simple math, I'll be 55. I believe Ray Kroc started McDonald's when he was 56. So whether you want to lead some big organization or you want to write a blog about uh, football or baseball and share with your audience and make 50 grand or whatever, you should do it and not be an attorney and get paid $250,000 and hate your life. Like I'm not the only one that thinks this way. And that's actually what's evolving. You talk about spend culture and our culture. And so I think the best example of this is, you know, Richard Branson talks about it a lot, you know, and obviously being from Europe, like they just, you know, they don't say vacation, they call it holiday and they have like five, six weeks off. There's just a real balance to how they do life in Europe. Now they've got some other issues in my opinion, but I like that they think that way and they think Americans are crazy, you know, just (laughs) workaholics, et cetera, et cetera. And I, you know, I get it. I just think that balance is important. Make sure Jim Rohn has a comment where he talks about the set of the sale, which is like your philosophy or what are your core values. And so I think the biggest leadership, I could go for hours on this, is just making sure you know what you're good at. Who are you? What's important to you from a value standpoint? And what are you good at? And then can you get around some of those other folks that are farther along, five, 10 years, align with your values And then if you're in the right seats and you have pretty good self-awareness, things will start to happen. But just a quick reminder, you have to work your ass off. It's just not going to just show up this easy button entitlement. Anything that came easy will go away easy. I mean, I literally could go on and on and on and have fun, have fun with whatever you're doing and realize that it's a, you know, I hate to say it because it sucks, but it is a marathon. And, you know, I think you only live once. So go make it happen. That's awesome. I really like the part that you said, find someone successful in something like from knowing yourself that and knowing what you like and then finding that person and work for them for free. And Tori, you know, the best way, you know, the best way to know yourself, ask some close people around you, what are you good at? And what are you not? You know, what are your strengths and weaknesses? Ask your mom, ask your close friends, ask your significant other, and it will be painful and they will tell you the truth in case you need a little guidance on some self-awareness. That's awesome. I tend not to do it too much because it's pretty much a punch in the (laughs) face, but it's a good reminder. That actually reminds me, the very first thing they asked when we joined the team in Procurify here 
which sponsors this podcast is what are the five words people would use to describe you? So you have to go to the people you're closest to, ask them what those words are and put them down. And then it gets sent out to the entire company, which is really funny because some of the I words are, it. yeah, you're just not expecting it. And then listening or hearing what other people's are. It's really funny. Um, usually it's very accurate. And actually that's a great segue into the last question I have for you. I could talk to you forever because this has been such an learning experience. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. And I love what you guys are doing at Purify too, by the way. We're doing other collaboration. I think you know we have some similar crossover and audiences, different way that we're going to market and different services, but I think you guys are doing it right. Thank you. We That's exactly what we love about you guys too. And we do have a bit of a tradition, speaking of things they make us do here at Procurify and when we first started, we ask everyone what their most embarrassing moment is and then make them get in front of the entire company and tell everyone, especially if you don't like public speaking. It's, it's great. Wow, that's good. <laughs> um, so we did that recently at our Christmas party. And we actually had the one of the questions was that like your most embarrassing moment and one of the significant others of a team member on Una actually shared. I'm not going to spill her share, but I was so proud of her. <laughs> it's awesome. It's intimidating. And honestly, when you do go up there and say something that is actually very embarrassing, everyone loves you for it. So oh, yeah. You just But it, there's freedom in it. There's it such is. freedom it's, in it's it. vulnerable <laughs> in a good way. So is this the part yeah. where I uh, get vulnerable and yes. tell you? The most okay. embarrassing really moment. Um, it could be in life or as a leader, whichever comes to mind. Oh, I got a good one. You mentioned baseball. I have to tell this one and I got to make sure I land the plane. So Kendra University is in Southern Illinois, which is close to St. Louis. And from a baseball perspective, I'm sure most of your audience will know the St. Louis Cardinals are out of you know, Bush Stadium there in St. Louis. And if you go early enough and pretty much every park across the country, you can get into batting practice. And so I went with some friends. I have my Cardinals jersey on, my Cardinals hat. I'm six foot four, red hair. You cannot miss me. And so we're all strategically parked across the ballpark, I should say, in, in like left field, right field, down the foul lines, because we're trying to get baseballs and interact with the players. Of course, at the time, Albert Pujols is still with the Cardinals and, you know, kicking butt and taking names. And he is just rocking them into left field in the bleachers. I'm in the bleachers. Now, little caveat, but it's not really much of a defense. I had a glove that I had never used before, but it was too small. It doesn't matter. Uh, supposedly, you're supposed to play college-level baseball in the outfield. The other thing to keep in mind as I tell this story, I was actually still on the baseball team. So it wasn't like I'd been retired. I mean, this was me active. And so I'm out in the I'm out in the bleachers. Albert hits one. Who, if you don't know, he, once he retires, he will be in the Hall of Fame, like literally a top five baseball player ever. And he hits it. It's perfect. I have to go down. I don't know five or six steps, and then go into the bleachers. I have it lined up. It's gonna hit my glove. Everything's fine. Completely missed my glove. Bounces off the side of my oh, no. head. Hits the bleacher so hard. Goes in back onto the field. And as any of the baseball audience knows, the pitchers are all typically at the outskirts of the outfield playing catch and trying not to get hit. They notice it. Everybody starts laughing. I sit down and act like nothing <laughs> happened. I have to fill out a report with the Cardinals organization to make sure that I'm okay. The pitchers on the Cardinals feel bad, throw me back the ball. So I have a pity baseball. And then I'm like, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to get a beer and act like this didn't happen. <laughs> And I get phone calls. So all my friends start calling me, right? And so I answer the phone. I'm like, hey, what's up? They're like, no, 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 no. No, hey, what's up? We saw your big 6'4", but in the left field, that what happened? It looked like it bounced off your head. And so, (laughs) 
Yeah. And then of course I got back to the team and I'm like, I have no explanation. I would say it was hard to go down steps and go across bleachers, but yeah, there's no excuse. There's no excuse. <laughs> there's, there's none. I do like the recovery though. The just sit down, pretend nothing happened. It's great. Oh, sit down. And then like people, you know, just act like it's all cool. And then, you know, just go get a beer and, you know, act like nothing's a, you know, a miss, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, it didn't work for my friends. But actually, I can laugh now. Good, I mean, you have you to. Laugh now. You have to. And now this is going to be out there. I don't know if I've ever like really recorded this story. So it's out there now. It's it's official. We'll have to incorporate it into the title somehow. I'm, everyone's going to love that. That's really great. I so appreciate you opening up to and, and telling the story and everything you've talked about today honestly is such good advice. It's been so great having you, Anthony. Thank you, Tori. It's been awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. Until next time. Great. Thanks for tuning in on another episode of Spend Culture Stories. If you like the series, please support us by leaving us a positive review on iTunes or Stitcher. And be sure to subscribe so you can get notified of the newest episodes. We try to post every episode every Wednesday. This podcast is sponsored by Procurify, a software solution that is reinventing the way organizations spend. Procurify allows an accessible and convenient way to request for purchases, get approval from your manager, while allowing your finance team to get the visibility and control you need on every purchase. Learn more about Procurify at www.procurify.com.